You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm an author and freelance writer and writing trainer, and I'm here with the wonderful Alison Tate. Alison, how are you? Well, I'm wonderful, Val, of course. <laughs> Always of course wonderful talking to you. No, I'm actually very happy and excited today because I um, got feedback from my publisher on book three of the Mapmaker Chronicles this morning and ah. she loves it just as much as I do. So that is fantastic. And I love, and those magical words came back with it minimal edits. Wow. Wonderful. Minimal edits. Can't tell you how thrilled I was. So, um, yeah, awesome. so that's great. So that's, you know, in, in one sense, I'm ecstatic and in another sense I'm kind of I've got a little bit of a feeling of melancholy about the fact that it's finished I think you know I mean it's not out there yet but the book is done the story is complete and you kind of have to wave goodbye to everyone in a a funny way so yeah so anyway but I'm, I'm very well and you what are you what are you doing I have been very busy. In fact, um, let me see. Well, listening over my shoulder today, we have a visitor. She's not actually going to appear on the podcast, but uh, you may remember that a couple of weeks ago, I went to Melbourne to do some, you know, photography with a wonderful photographer called Gina Militia. And um, Gina and I have actually been have known each other for oh, 25 years or something ridiculous like that. And uh, we're starting a podcast called So You Want to Be a photographer because she is the master photographer and um i am the master student in this area so the tables are turned in a sense Um, yeah so it's very exciting so gina's just having a bit of a listen to our podcast and um for anyone interested in photography we'll be um launching that before christmas how exciting i wanted to say a big hello to everyone who is new to this podcast if you've only discovered us recently um i've already mentioned what i do but alice Alison, as you may have gathered, is an author, but Alison is also many other things. Can you give us a little summary of what else you do, Al? Goodness me. Uh, yes, Alison is also a freelance <laughs> writer. Um, she also tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre. She is a blogger. She is a podcaster. It's quite funny talking about yourself in the third person. Do you so, always speak about yourself in the no, third person? No, I feel like Elmo. But I, it's kind of Alison. Alison likes cookies. No, it's um, it's actually quite strange because you sound so much more impressive in the third person, don't you think, than you actually sound when, when you just go, oh, you know, I blog and I podcast and I <laughs> write stories. Yeah, because that's how we talk all the time. Oh, I know. <laughs> Now, when I don't have my radio voice on. Uh, yes, but anyway, those are all the things that I do. And you can find out more about me at alisontate.com because there's a whole lot of stuff on there. Yes. So what has been happening in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week? I think lots. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention, because as you know, as many regular listeners will know, I have a thing for typewriters and, um, you know, the old-fashioned kind, like the retro-looking kind or vintage-looking typewriters. Of course, there aren't really any modern typewriters. <laughs> uh, and uh, so has Tom Hanks. So me and Tom Hanks have got this thing in common. Um, not only has he released the Hanks Writer, which is an iPad app which we've spoken about before where you can type and it sounds like an old-fashioned typewriter and you can buy different-looking typewriters to type on your iPad with. He has also now released a book of short stories inspired by typewriters. Wow. So, you know, it's 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 um it's a, an entire book on the subject and it's um with the publisher Knopf and uh, he has said the stories are not about the typewriters themselves, but rather the stories are something that might have been written on one of them. So, it'll be interesting to see uh you know, I'm very keen to read that book. Mm. Um because it's a 
kind of weird, loose theme that sort of has to do with typewriters, but the stories may have nothing to do with typewriters. I was going to say, the whole thing sounds like somebody with, who's slightly obsessed and is just looking for a way to release that obsession. What yes, do you think? and possibly also cashing in on the fact that anyone who has a remote interest in typewriters like me is going to buy it. Mm. Yes. As will all fans of Tom Hanks. So, you know, like it's a win-win really, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is happening, Al? Well, I read an interesting post um, on therightlife.com and it was about freelancing or working from home and it was about whether or not you should actually work from home if you work from home, yeah. if you know what I'm saying, or whether you should perhaps, you know, get into a co-working space. Um, and this is something that I've actually seen come up a few times on Twitter and other social media platforms lately, people talking about the fact that they've actually gone and rented a desk Mm. um, in a co-working space because they're finding it so difficult to work from home. Um, So I just wanted to bring that up with you and just see what you thought about the whole thing. Do you, have you ever done a, have you ever um, hired space to to work from home, so to speak? To to hire space to not work from home. (laughs) To not work from home while you're working from home, if you know what I'm saying, yes. I have dropped in at a few co-working spaces from time to time and worked out of them. It's just like working in the library except that you're allowed to talk. So, oh. you know, it's it's like a whole bunch of people all working in t- on different things. Um, and, you know, you, you have internet access, you can access the printer and whiteboards if you want. Um, but it's interesting that you brought that up because there's actually a place in Sydney called uh, the Sydney Writer's Room. And it's in Haymarket and it's specifically for writers and it's in the um, Sydney Trades Hall building, which is actually the corner of um, Goulburn and Sussex, so sort of near Haymarket. And uh, you can rent a desk and each space has a large desk, a chair, a shelf, so you can put all your your books there if you want. Um, The room has Wi-Fi and a communal printer and you can basically, you know, become a member. Um, I think it's like, I don't know. $220 $220 a month or something or you can for a permanent desk or you can hot desk so you pay a, a, a you know a smaller amount and you just yeah. sort of drop in and out so it's for people who um, it says applicants can be working in any genre so and current members are from film television novels comics satire history and new media so it's specifically a co-working space for writers um for me i'm you know i think that's great if you if you want to be in that environment and um i suspect that a co-working space for writers is a bit more like a library yeah, <laughs> as, yeah, yeah. as opposed to a, a you know a regular co-working space where there's a bit you know a bit of chatter going on and stuff like that I, I think i like the buzz i like the chatter i think many listeners will know i kind of like even those apps that give the coffee shop background noise yes. of people talking i sometimes put that on because i like to have that going but um yeah so it that they seem to be popping up a lot. Um, and if any listeners do go to a co-working space, do tweet us or let us, let us know why you do it and which one you go to. We'd love to hear about it. Well, the, the, the um, author of this particular post, Lisa Rowan on The Right Life, um, says that basically the, re- the resounding answer that she received from freelancers when she asked them whether co-working membership was worth the cost was a big yes. Lots of people saying it was a big yes. I, I think for me um, it's not something that I would do because I am so easily distracted. Um, but working in an office for me, I always found that I got most of my work done after everyone else had gone home yeah. because I am better just sort of like by myself. Um, when I lived by myself and worked from home, um, when I first sort of started freelancing, I think that then I would probably have really benefited from a membership because I did go a little bit insane just spending so much time by myself. Yeah. But now that I've got a family to distract me all the time, it's, you know, I just, like <laughs> it. I, I just think as long as you've got a door you can shut, it's yes. probably just as good in some ways. Yeah, Absolutely. But, yeah, I'd be interested to hear other people's experiences. So please let us know. And what else is happening? Um, what else is happening? Let's see. What have I got for you? Um, oh, okay. Here's one that came up for me this week that I thought was really interesting because I've had this conversation with a lot of people mm. and it was on Writer Unboxed and it's the, it's, um, the title of the piece is The Great Twitter Debate, Should You Follow Back? Mm. Um, and the, but the overriding premise here is, you know, if you're on Twitter and you're an author and you're trying to build an, an audience and a community, should you follow everyone that follows you? Or should you kind of 
be more aloof and more sort of aspirational for the people who follow you. And it's quite an interesting thing because I've never really given it a huge amount of thought. When I first sort of started on Twitter, um, I've just followed the same premise I've always followed. If people talk to me, I follow them. If um, somebody, if someone looks interesting, I follow them. If they follow me back, great. If they don't, I don't necessarily get my knickers in a twist about it. Um, I just think like that's pretty much how I go about I think lots of people will conduct themselves on Twitter the same way as they do in real life. Um, You know, someone talks to me, I tend to talk back. I'm just that kind of person yes. you know um but what do you think of it I mean, are you have you got any major thoughts on the great twitter debate should you follow back <laughs> um i haven't got uh, any major thoughts on it but i must admit i don't follow everyone back uh, automatically or anything like that. oh no not automatically yes. there's got to be an earning <laughs> oh yes um, you know, I, I will um, go to people's Twitter profiles and read their bio yes. um, if they've engaged in conversation with me. Yes, and I have it. definitely followed people as a result of that. And I've actually connected with people, um, you know, because of that. So, yeah. I mean, on an ongoing basis and potentially even met up in real life. So I think with that, though, is if your Twitter bio says nothing but, you know, um, loves coffee and, you know, yeah caramel cheesecake yes and that's all i know about you i'm probably not going to follow you back unless i know you from some other way uh so i actually think that what you decide to put on your twitter profile is pretty important for people who who want to make that decision whether or not to follow you back i absolutely agree and i that's that was something i was going to say was i i think some people um, it depends what you're there for too, but I think a lot of people overlook the importance of that little Twitter bio. I do have a look at at, at a page every time just to see who who this person is. I, I want to get to some idea of who I'm dealing with before I choose to engage. And um, and if you have just an egg photo, I'm probably not going <laughs> to yeah. follow you back. And if you've got absolutely nothing in your bio, I'm probably not going to follow you back either. Even if your tweets look interesting, yeah. I, I need to... I need some idea of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's move on to, uh, you know, another great world-impacting world debate. Um, (laughs) And that, of course, is whether or not to double space or single space at the end of a sentence. Now, there's this um, article on uh, Lifehacker that um, whether you double space or single space after the full stop is actually an indication of your age because uh, do you double space or single space? Oh, no, I single space. I learned double spacing when I learned to type. Yes. I did learn double spacing when I learned to type. But as soon as I started working um, as a cadet journalist, it was slapped out of me very, very early on. Exactly the same as me. My father taught me to double space because I learned on a typewriter because I'm that old. And um, Let's not talk about that. (laughs) Okay. But as soon as I got into a full-time journalism job, yeah, that was slapped out of me and people just looked at me as if I had three heads. But yep. yet there are still people who are my age and younger who are double spacing and um, it really goes to show that, you know, some people find it really offensive or they think that you're really uneducated or that you have come from a backwater <laughs> or are really old if you double space. Well, it's really interesting though, isn't it? Because at the time, you know, it, it, it actually in some areas, I think in government departments and stuff, a lot of them still do it. It's actually a... It, it's correct. It is the correct way to do it initially. It, well, it was. It was. It's a style thing. It's a style thing rather than an offensive thing. Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't know so much. So it kind of became a style thing, but it was actually because the space that a typewriter would provide when you press mm. the space bar just wasn't wide enough yeah. So to to distinguish the beginning of the sentence, so it was actually more from a ease of re, you know, reading, re, a readability, really, yeah, readability yeah. thing, and then it kind of became a stuff thing, up, yeah. you know. Um, but now, because of the way Microsoft Word is, the space that you have after the end of a sentence is automatically created in such a way that it is easy on the eye. So there's no need to double space. That's right. Anyway. We could talk about this for days, huh? <laughs> what, 
fun. But let's not. <laughs> let's not. Let's, let's move, move right on. on to something else. There's been quite a debate recently. Um, you know, a few authors have been saying things about um, publishers not doing a great deal for in terms of publicity for their books. And, mm. you know, I have to say some publishers are doing a great job and are doing a very good, um, you know, very good campaigns for, for their authors and some are not. So, yes, I acknowledge that that um, definitely exists. But uh, there's an increasing number of authors I've been reading, you know, around the blogosphere saying that it's so important to be able to then do your own publicity. And in a sense, that's correct, because even though a publisher may do a great job, it's actually for a finite period. It's for, you know, your six weeks or three months or whatever period that they've decided to dedicate to your book in terms of a publicity push, after which, yes, they'll still do some stuff. But largely, if you want your book to sell, you need to do more publicity. That's right. So, you know, when people think of publicity, a lot of authors actually come to me and they say, look, I'm just not getting any book reviews. And, you know, book reviews aren't necessarily the best way to sell your books. They're one way. Or or they're sending out press releases and they're not, you know, um, getting traction from their press releases. So I think it's important for people to think beyond book reviews and press releases. Um, and so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would just like to say first up that my publicist at a shed is amazing and I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of interest that's been generated in my book um, by my publisher. But I've also done a whole lot of work myself. Yes. And I think that the... I, I don't think I've ever had that expectation that all I would do is write the book and that, and then the public, the publisher would sell it, and that would be that. Um, I think that there has, I, I, I think that authors need to understand that, you know, it's their job as well. Yep. Unfortunately, um, you know, like I know that lots of people don't want to think about that, and they don't want to necessarily do it, and it is a lot of work. Um, but you do have to think about it, and. I mean, I've always been a huge advocate for blogging um, and I remain a huge advocate for blogging for authors because um, the publicity that is generated by a blogging community, you can't, is the kind of amplified word of mouth that is very, very difficult to do by yourself. Um, So I've had a lot of people on social media, on blogs, um, not just reviewing my book, but talking about it, sending images out of their kids, reading it and, and things like that so that it gets... It's sort of it's put in people's faces without them necessarily even knowing that it's there. Um, and also, my I, I'm very lucky. I'm quite well connected thanks to blogging, um, and I know a lot of clever people. And I have, um, or my sister, my clever sister, organised for me a blog tour that has been occurring um, around the blogosphere with. Um, you know, parenting bloggers and motivational bloggers and all sorts of different bloggers who have all taken their own spin on my book and have written a post about it and it therefore it goes into their communities as well. So let's so, talk about that a little bit more. Let's just yeah. unpack that a little bit. And for new listeners, Alison's book is The Mapmaker Chronicles Race to the End of the World. Tell us how one organises a blog tour. Well, in the, in the instance, like again, this is all about... Um, I've been blogging now for five years in the same sort of space. So my space has always been um, a little bit of, you know, it's all about life. It's all about writing. It's all about, I know, and I know you hate this word, but it's all about whimsy. <laughs> so I write little bits and pieces about a whole lot of stuff. And I've always been known as, you know, I, I, that people know that I have children. I've been connected with a whole lot of, you know, what they call mum bloggers for a long time. Um, so when I had this book coming out for children, it, there was a lot of support for me because I'm part of the community. I'm part of that blogging community. And in the same way that I support other bloggers who have books come out or support other people, it's it's very much a, it's not all about me, it's a, it's about us. And so the, um, the blogging community is a very, very supportive one. And authors who are interested in, in how blogging can work for them need to understand that it's a very much reciprocal thing. You are, you are part of a community. It's not just about you. Um, so when this book was coming out, um, it was a matter of talking to people that I had made relationships with over several years and saying, my book is coming, um, could I do something on your blog or would you mind doing something on your blog, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and 10 people said yes. And so in the lead up to Christmas, um, from the date of the book's launch on the 14th of October, the lead up to Christmas, there's a post of some description somewhere in that mum blogging area, yeah. travel, all sorts of different things, um, will be appearing, which just allows me 
to sort of keep the momentum going for the book. Otherwise, everything happens in the first week or two and then nothing happens, whereas this allows me to extend that. And I think that's something worth thinking about. I think that's great because that has been the result of those long-term nurtured relationships. Um, You know, and it wouldn't have happened if you did not establish those relationships over time. No, you can can pay, you know, you can buy blog tours, you can pay for blog tours and and you can, there are people that will organise them for you and you can do that um, as well. um, it's just I chose to do it this way because I am part of that community yeah. and, you know, it, it's, the, as you say, those relationships are something, they're friendships, you know, yeah, in that's a right. lot of cases that I've built up over many years of us all being in the same boat doing the same stuff, you know, so yeah. that's um, that's worth thinking about, I think. It drove me bonkers the other day. I was speaking to an author whose book is coming out in May and, or sometime next year anyway. I think it was May. And she and I was saying, oh, you know, well, you, you, that's a great place for you to shout out about it on social media, you know, in your Twitter and Facebook. She says, oh, no, I'm not on Twitter, but I'm, I'll join it in May. I'm not going to join it now because my book's not out till May, so I oh. can't tell anyone about it. I wanted to freaking shake the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, Val. (laughs) Tell us how you really felt. (laughs) Because it's so short-sighted because it is actually all about developing real relationships on social media so that when your book does come out, people genuinely want to, you know, share your good news and, and, you know, share the fact that you have a book out. Exactly. Yes. um, Anyway, I'll just calm down about that so maybe we'll move on to the next thing. And <laughs> let's talk about some good news. I'll just have an aside, actually, because, um, you know, this is not on our agenda, but um, an interesting thing that's happened to me over the last three weeks, I've obviously gotten a lot of, because my book has been translated into Spanish. And, um, How my, exciting. Yeah, I mean, it was translated talk into Spanish. dirty to me, Val. You yeah. can read it to me. <laughs> I have no idea how to say this in Spanish. Anyway, but the book is Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And over the last three weeks or so, it's obviously gone through a surge in Spanish-speaking countries um, because I'm getting all these Facebook messages um, oh. from people, sometimes in Spanish, um, but I think they've realised and then they've sent me another message in English or they've put it through Google Translate or something. Because one of the things I did, and I did not even had, obviously I didn't have the foresight to think about this issue when I created this situation um, way back when the book was released. But one of the things that you can do with my book is that you can go to the book's website and you can download all of these templates that will help you tell your own power stories. But, yeah, but in order to, you know, I didn't want necessarily to police people having a receipt of my book or anything like that. So um, it goes through a password-protected, you know, page, and the password is a particular word in a particular chapter. Like, for example, you know, the seventh word in the sixth chapter or something like that, right? Mm. And that's the password. But, of course, it's a different word in Spanish, isn't it? Oh, oh. Oops. <laughs> I've been answering all these emails saying, oh, I bought your book in Spanish. And so the password doesn't work. So I've had to email them the, you know, English word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be very busy. <laughs> but, you know, yay that lots of people yay. who speak Spanish <laughs> buy my book. Excellent. And we, can't even, we can't even talk about what it is because that would just be giving it away well, to everyone. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So um, let's move on to, um, you know, books and hopefully this um, person doesn't make a similar mistake to me, but one of our graduates of the Australian Writers' Centre, Lisa Chaplin, has sold her historical novel, The Tide Watchers, to Morrow Books, which is a division of HarperCollins in New York. Wow. And that is going to be out in April. So we're really excited for Lisa. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because, you know, it's a fantastic, uh, that's a fantastic achievement. And she um, credits the uh, Kate Force site for her history, mystery and magic course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Um, and, you know, it, she says it really helped her with, to give the book, give the revisions in her book more depth and strength. So congratulations, Lisa. We're very excited for you. We are indeed excited for you. I love it when graduates do exciting things. I always feel so proud. I know. Fantastic. It's, um, yeah, makes me do a happy dance every time I hear something like that. Um, 
But now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. We have something quite different. Uh, you know, we sometimes interview authors for business books. And this week we have Toby Jenkins, who is the co-author, along with Adam Franklin, of a book called Web Marketing That Works, which actually is a book that is useful for authors who want to build their platform and build their online presence. So I do recommend that as a book for people who want to. It's not about writing. It's about uh, marketing yourself or your business or whatever, but you know, it, as it applies to writers, it's for your own author platform on the web. And you know, Toby and Adam have done a great job on this, and they've co-written the book. So you know, I, I talked to Toby about how they actually co-wrote it, and um, it's actually full of a lot of um, really practical things. And one of the things I really like about the book is that Toby and Adam talk about their successes, but they also talk about you know their failures or the things that could have that, that they could have done better, much like, you know, my password protected, um, you know, trick that I thought was really clever, um, but didn't think of the many other languages in the world. Um, so anyway, Toby and, and uh, Adam have their book published by Wiley, and uh, it's called Web Marketing That Works, and I hope you find our chat interesting. So thanks for joining us today, Toby. No worries, Val. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you about this because I, you know, first spoke to you about even the concept of this book before it was even, you know, words on paper. And it was, it's been so great to watch the journey and to see it, see the different paths that you've gone down until finally I had the book in my hands. And I think it's a really great book. I've read it from cover to cover and I think it's a really practical, uh, you know, book about web marketing that would suit not only businesses, but anyone who, you know, wants to build their personal brand and build their profile online. But I am raving on way too much just because I'm so excited about this book. You tell listeners first, what is the book about? Yeah, look, I mean, the book is really, it's a summation of our 10 years in web marketing or close to where we, I guess, by trial and error predominantly have learned what has worked and what doesn't work in terms of generating leads primarily for our business, Blue Wire Media. Mm. Um, and I guess we started off you know, in web design and then we realized that a website on its own wouldn't work and so we grew that out into email marketing and then you know the social media came along and so there's, there's so many things that have evolved, I guess, over the last nine and a half years of our business that we felt it was time to sort of share the best lessons that we had learned mm. uh, um, and hopefully to help others uh, shortcut their learning process so they don't have to go through the trials and tribulations, I guess, that we did in the mm. experimentation. So it's going to help, if people read this book, it's going to help them do what exactly? And particularly, how would it be helpful to writers? Yeah, look, I mean, um, ultimately it's about driving leads for a business, but I guess in more broadly for writers, it's about growing a community around any organisation really mm. um, or any individual. So as a writer... Um, it's about growing, you know, your social media community, um, your email database is, I consider, a part of your community and a really quite intimate relationship as a community member. Um, and then, yeah, attracting more people to that, um, whether it's around a particular message or a particular story um, or a particular topic or genre that you're writing about, um, you know, that's that's what the book is about is growing a community that is interactive and will and will help you to you know i guess achieve whatever it is that you're setting out to achieve with your business or your book or um the organization that you're representing now one of the things that you just said before was that it's like your trials and tribulations it's it's you know showing the lessons that you've gone through so that people can learn from it and one of the things i really do love about the book is that it's not just it's not only, you know, full of practical strategies. You do actually reveal your mistakes. You actually show us the numbers. You actually say not only the things that worked, but the things that don't work. And in this world of, you know, let's all put our best face forward, was that an easy thing for you and your co-author, Adam, to do, you know, to, to reveal your failures? Look, I mean, in... 
Not necessarily, but in, in part, there's a, there's a couple of reasons for doing it, I guess. One, one was there's some reasonably amusing stories or certainly, you know, we found them amusing and um, that we had had in terms of our failures, like me introducing myself as Adam in the early days when we were knocking on doors. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's a bit more humanizing as opposed to sort of standing up on a high horse and saying, oh, this is what you must do, this is what you must do. Um, to us, the books that we'd really enjoyed as well had shared their failings yeah. um, and business books particularly um, had shared, you know, the pitfalls and things that had gone wrong as much as they shared the things that had gone right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we set out to emulate those kinds of books and, um, and we also just felt as though, you know, it made for a story as opposed to just a to-do list for someone who picked it up. Yeah. Um, that's and exactly also, right. It's a great story. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we were, it's our story. Um, you know, some will like it, some won't, I guess, but um, we, it's certainly a pretty true and fair representation of our last nine and a half years and it was a great opportunity to reflect on that as well. It was really fun. Mm. Now, you've co-written this book with Adam Franklin and you've obviously known Adam for a long time. Can you just give us an idea of how long you've known Adam and what <laughs> – was it like to work to co-write a book together? Yeah, well, I mean, Ads and I have been friends since year one. So, <laughs> um, really? we were yeah, we were at primary school in grade one together. So, what's that? Six, oh, um, and so we did primary school, high school, university, um, post uni. Ads went off to travel. I was playing water polo at the time. Um, so a couple of years later, we sort of joined back up and when my water polo sort of finished up as well, we then decided we'd have a crack at this business. So we've now been in business as well for 10 years. And, um, so writing a book was something that we dreamt about for, um, when it came to the business side of things, but also, you know, to us, I guess it was an extension of a great friendship and a really long friendship. So it was, it was um, a stack of fun. You know, we've, we've had a huge amount of enjoyment and, um, and support working, you know, with a great mate, even though a lot of people have said over the years, you know, oh, you've got to be careful going into business with a mate. Um, I guess we've taken appropriate measures to make sure that, you know, we put the friendship as high as we could all the time. Yeah. Um, and so that's made a huge difference. You're obviously very close. You've known each other since you won. But on a practical mm. level, when you co-write mm. a book, how do you actually, on a practical level, divide it up? How do you, you know, did you write one chapter each? Did you write chapters together? What did you actually do to to make the book happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess we, we weren't too sure how it was going to roll out and that was a really important piece of, um, I guess, to take it just before we got to the writing stage, there was that point of, uh, you know, we had a friend of ours, Georgie Dent, who was a um, journalist um, and she really helped us to sort of take an outsider's perspective on all of our ideas that were jumbled up in a huge mess mm. um, and take an outsider's perspective on it and sort of talk us through what might appeal and what might make sense. And she really helped us write the book proposal. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the beauty of having Georgie on board for that part of the project was that she really helped us frame a structure around yeah. what we were going to say. And um, as well as obviously help us get the book deal in the first place, Mm -hmm. which was a huge help. Um, And then when it came time to the actual writing part, um, Valerie, you sort of, you know, doing your course and stuff really helped us to build the confidence. And we'd written a lot of blogs, I guess, so we weren't unfamiliar with writing. Mm. And when we decided it was really going to be our story that we were going to tell, Mm. then it made sense that we sort of manned up and wrote it ourselves. Yeah. and 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 to be honest, looking back on it, that's exactly how I'd do it again. Um, it was it's just been such a satisfying process. Mm. But then when it came time to the actual writing of the content itself, I think one of the best things we did was that we both went away for a week down to Jarrah, down south. Right. Um, and we basically sort of, it was book planning, it was hammering it out, it was trying to write a couple of chapters and give each other feedback and kind of iterate really quickly to see what was going to work in terms of 
a format and working um, together to get the book actually written and yep. the chapters written and stuff. And ultimately we decided that we'd divide it into chapters and then we would each write a chapter and then we'd come back and review that chapter, um, critique it, and then um, you know go back and make alterations and what have you. Um, and so it was sort of chapter by chapter. And Adam, you know, he used Scrivener um, as a tool, which I think was your recommendation from the writing course again, yep. um, as the master copy. And right. I was writing chapters on Google Drive, yep. so we could share the, and Google Docs and stuff, so we could share um, share each of the chapters in the book of the book, and then um, and also review them together. You know, whether we were remote or you know physically together, it meant that we could um, go over them, you know, wherever we were. So that right. really helped as well. That's really interesting. So basically you divide it up, you divvied it up, decide you write, you write these chapters, you write these chapters, and that's an interesting process. You did it on Google Drive first and then what, you kind of let, left comments for each other, is that right, on Google Drive, you know, before then putting it onto the master copy in Scrivener? Is that how it worked? Um, yeah. Well, Adam put his straight into Scrivener. Right. It was just mine that... We did that. I did on Google Drive, right? And then from there, um, he, he so we, I'd just call him up and we'd talk through it over the right. phone, and I'd make edits. Sometimes he'd jump in and highlight and make comments and stuff. But we actually found sort of talking through each of the chapters was a just a faster way to get get to a conclusion around a particular point or you know a, whatever the you know whether the sentence structure was right or yeah. wrong or, or whether it was the um intent behind it was yeah. easier to communicate over phone than it was through comments on the doc itself yeah. so it's a book about web marketing and yet it actually and and you you know it has two authors and yet it actually has a strong voice. Now, you two must just live in each other's pockets or something because I don't think I can, you know, I, it's uh, unless it's explicit that you're writing some bit or, or whatever, uh, it, it really kind of all gels together. Do you think that's just because of your friendship or did you make a point to kind of go through and, and think, you know, that sounds a little bit, you know, jarring compared to the next bit? You know, uh, what did you do on that front? Well, um, I think one of the things that was just invaluable was just our editor was excellent. Right. So, again, to be brutally honest, when we submitted what we submitted to the to the publisher, the editor was the guy who pulled, you know, really quite different styles and um, different content, and we were sort of pretty worried about what we'd submitted but yeah. then sort of confident of the core messages but worried about the sort of it felt like there were a heap of loose ends and the editor was phenomenal right. at pulling that back to something that we could then actually make progress on because right. I don't think our, our raw material was too raw for us to actually get to the end result whereas the editor got it to a point where we could then say right Okay, now now we can go through. And, I mean, we, we spent Christmas going through every sentence. Um, wow. And hammering it out, discussing it. Uh, okay. So um, give, me I mean, some, give me some, some time frames. There were some really key chapters that needed work. Yeah, yeah. So, so give me some time frames then. When did you, you know, get approximately when did you get the book deal? When did you start on the book? When did you – how long did it take for you to write? When did you hand it in? Then when you got the edits back, how long did it take for you to kind of revise it, you know, and, and was there a lot of change? Yeah. Um, so we got the book deal. I think it was around either end of June or early July. Yep. Um, or maybe, yeah, maybe mid-July or something. Um, 2013. Probably, 2013, yes. Yeah, okay. And so we then decided, okay, well, um, we we started sort of having a crack separately at writing chapters and sort of putting some ideas down, and then we had the weekend or the week, sorry, in Jarrah was um, I think it was early October, right? And so that again, you know, we both brought all of our ideas to the table, sat down, hammered it out, 
and then that really gave us a framework to move forward on. And then so we submitted the rough copy at the 1st of December, I think it was. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, so we really punched it out in two months. It may Gerard may have even been the start of September. So it was either two months or three months pretty much to do all the writing. And then we, they started to drip feed um, the edits back to us. And we did a little bit of interacting with the editor. But then we, the best solid block of time was immediately after Christmas. And so we came back. To, we'd both gone up north to Brisbane and um, for Christmas because that's where our families are. And then we came back down to the day after and spent the next two and a half weeks going through all the editor's edits and hammering it out and, you know, sentence by sentence, as I say. Wow. <laughs> um, I think Jonathan Crossfield has a great um, explanation of trying to bash the words into submission. Yes. And <laughs> I just, I couldn't agree with him more. <laughs> <laughs> and did you um, uh, enjoy the process of writing this book? Um, I, yeah, it was really challenging. Um, we we did a lot of research in terms of trying to find, you know, what might be the best way to write it. Um, we went looking through, for instance, we went through all the Amazon reviews of marketing books to see, and we looked at the sort of three stars or less to go, okay, well, what are the gaps in these marketing books that other, you know, that we could try to fill? Yeah. Um, and what are the critiques of these books and great books, who, you know, whose work we loved and authors and stuff that we really liked. Um, to see where we might be able to sort of try to make ours a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, I, I did. And then it was the two and a half weeks were really brutal <laughs> in that editing process. But ultimately I think um, it was an intense and really exhilarating sort of project um, that we got. I, I don't th Even with more time, I don't think we would have, um, you know, Ads and I were both really satisfied with the end result. Mm. Um, and don't sort of really feel as though we could have done it any better um, or, or much differently. I'm sorry, I'm sure it could have been better with a bit more time, but um, as anything can be. But given the time constraints, you know, we really felt as though we managed to convey the messages that we really wanted to convey and um, get across the points that we were after. So, mm. yeah, it was an enormously satisfying process. So apart from being satisfying, mm. what other results have happened as a result of the book? Has it opened any doors or given you more opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't have had or, or would have been harder to come across? What is some of the outcomes? Yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, we've had opportunities that otherwise we wouldn't have had for mm -hmm. sure. I mean, people approaching us immediately with you know, requests to work with us. Um, yeah, which is awesome. I mean, ultimately, it's a uh, it's a pretty powerful. If someone has read it and enjoyed it, and then the makes contact, mm. then um, you know that's a great inter introduction. Um, and so it's been really good for business that way. Um, it's still it's funny that you know writing a book. Well, it's not all that funny, I guess, but it, it still <laughs> has that. Um, it still has that aura around it. Like yeah. people say, "Oh, you've written a book. Wow. Okay." Um, and yeah, as I'm sure, you know, you've probably heard many times, mm. Valerie, but, um, I, I was still a bit surprised by it, even though I guess I probably hold that same opinion too. <laughs> lots of, lots of authors who, who I admire too. Mm. The fact that it's down in, in black and white makes a huge difference. Mm. Yeah. The final benefit was just that I think it really helped. It forced a discipline on our thinking mm. that had never been in there before. Interesting. Um, yeah, without mm. a doubt. Um, now, you're obviously, it, it, both you and Adam are experts in web marketing. What I'd love to share with listeners, especially the, the writers and aspiring writers, is some of your top tips on what you think they need to be doing when it comes to their own web marketing. Because we hear a lot about building the author platform and making sure that people have that author platform. I mean, what can people do from your expert point of view, apart from buy your book, which is fantastic, <laughs> to, to, Thanks, to build their author platform? Yeah, look, um, I mean, I guess our, our the author platform that, 
we would be proposing is always going to be online um, and the fact that you can reach people who are passionate about, you know, given a topic and not ne necessarily just non-fiction, um, given any topic, mm. you know, you can find people who are passionate about and communities that are passionate about a, a topic. You know, there's no doubt about it whether um, regardless of what you're writing about, um, whether it's a genre or, you know, the particular topic within that genre or what have you, um, the fact is that the internet enables us to tap into communities that already exist. And so building relationships within those communities is really important. Um, the other thing uh, for non-fiction or fiction books, I guess non-fiction-wise, um, there are so many great examples of people writing blogs um, for business books and what have you, and certainly that, that was a huge reason why we were able to um, get a book deal in the first place was yeah. that we had a blog, we demonstrated a writing ability and, and been able to build an audience through that blog and an email list. Um, but in non sorry, in fiction as well, um, the example that springs to mind for me is a guy called Hugh Howey, mm. um, the author of Wall, um, Shift and Dust mm. series, mm. which I have actually loved because I'm a big science fiction fan. <laughs> um, but, you know, he opted to share his content Content, ultimately, he, he shared the core elements of his book before the books were published. Mm. Um, and he then went on to self-publish and, and it's a really interesting story of its own. But, mm. um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, giving something away and it's and we say this in the book actually, whether it's business and maybe it's for fiction too in, in this respect, is that if you give something away that feels like you're giving away a little bit too much, yeah. then you're probably on the money in terms of, it's enough for if if you feel like you're giving away too much, then it's probably enough for someone to actually feel as though they've got value from from the interaction with you and be more inclined to follow and um you know and grow your community that way is by giving your community enormous value that they then may share and refer on to others mm. ultimately. Now you refer to your community and obviously, you know, writers are hoping they're the readers, the people who want, are going to buy their books. Um, so I, I've heard some writers say, yes, I'm, you know, I really love Facebook. That's my community or yeah, I've got X number of Twitter followers. That's my community. How important is it in your expert opinion? How important is it to build your email list? Uh, I would say it's your number one. Um, the reality, you know, sadly is that if you share something on Facebook, then 10% of those who like your page, for instance, get to see your content um, and unless you pay for to boost a particular post. Um, and so that's because, uh, you know, Facebook is trying to make money and so advertising is the way that they're going to do that. And so they've basically restricted that access um, to content so then people will pay for it. Um, so your community on Facebook is you can automatically divide it by 10. Um, and then the, even for the 10% who it does actually get in front of, how many of those interact it or read it or actually see it in the first place is well and truly up for debate, I believe, um, because it gets lost in amongst everything else. Whereas an email, an email list, to me, people are a bit more, people still go through their email with a bit more diligence and actually opt not to read something versus, um, if that may, oh, I'm not really making great sense here, but an email list to me is a much more, it's a, it's a deeper relationship than social media where people can kind of skim over it. Yeah. People, or not see it at all. Or not see it at all, absolutely, yep. Um, and, I mean, if you follow a couple of hundred people on Twitter, the chances of you seeing someone's content mm. are minuscule um, unless you, you know, put them in a list or something like mm. that on Twitter. But, yeah, so to me, email is still the go-to, and I've actually seen particularly recently some really big names in social media um, opting to try to migrate their social media followings to email for that very reason, mm. um, even despite their huge followings on social media. 
Well, I'm glad you made that point about the email list because I always bang on about how important it is to grow your e- email list and not just rely on social media. So mm. I think I think that's absolutely vital. For somebody who's listening and who, you know, they might be on Twitter, they might be on Facebook, they might even collect an email, you know, they, you know they're, they're kind of maybe doing some things, but they're just not sure where to concentrate their efforts because if people have limited time if they just needed to start with step one if they're just not sure what to prioritize what would step one be um step one to me would be start a blog and make sure people can subscribe so step one plus (laughs) 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 1.5 okay good i like it so you You've released the book now this year in 2014 and it was a, you know, quite, you know, an effort for both of you to get it out there. Have you thought of, are you thinking of book two at all? <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet. I mean, I guess it, it certainly hasn't been written off as something that we'll never, ever do again. Um, and it has been, you know, there's been so much that we've got from the writing process and um, learned in the process. So, no, I mean, but to us, you know, what we were hoping to do with the book was that it would be a book that people could use for years, mm. um, that it wouldn't be something that is just going to date in, yeah. you know, 10 days, which is such a problem with the internet, I guess, and the fact that we've written a book about the internet <laughs> is, um, <laughs> I guess, potentially a bit ambitious. But, um yeah, I mean, we really were hoping that the core, the core messages and, and, in fact, the core how-to points as well in there are stuff that will last for the, you know, for the next five, ten years yeah. and be valuable to people, you know, looking to market their businesses for a whole lot longer than that. So, um, I think also it introduces people to your blog and I think, um, and I've said this before on social media and I'm, I know I sound like I'm a big fan here, but I, you know, I don't endorse things unless I truly believe they're good. And I think one of the great things that you and Adam do are your templates. You know, I, I think that, um, you share some really useful templates that even though I'm pretty savvy with social media, I print them out and I go, you know what? That's damn good. <laughs> so <laughs> Thanks, it's the sort of thing you can update. It doesn't have to be in your book. If you then go to your blog, you can at least update those templates if things do change, you know, and communicate yeah. with people that way. Mm. Um, but finally then, what's your advice? If people are listening to this and kind of thinking, oh, look, I just don't know where to start. I, I, I just really don't know where to start. What's your advice to, for them to finally get into a position where you're in now in terms of writing and publishing their book? Um, I once, I once heard someone say the key to writing is writing, writing, writing. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things to me that the blog has really enabled us to do is that it allowed us to, you know, we, we spent years blogging before we wrote the book. Um, but it allowed us to sort of figure out what style we wanted to write with. Mm. Um, and, and to practice, you know, the writing process as much as anything. And so, I mean, to me, it's a pretty low risk, low cost way of getting started writing is um, to start your own blog. And um, and then, yeah, I mean, just jump jump in. We really loved your course, Val, when we did it. The business writing course was just crucial to us sort of clarifying what the process might be and getting to understand the process too i guess you know it would be different for fiction and there's the whole self-published versus um you know going with a publisher Mm. debate as well um and hugh howie has some really interesting ideas around self-publishing too um um, i can post some links through to you val perhaps for um Mm. the notes here but um yeah, I mean, to me, you know, the, the core to writing is to get started writing so you feel more comfortable with it and then you can try to sell it as either a fiction book or a non-fiction book. Mm. Um, you'll feel more confident either way. So get started writing and, yeah, you're right, get, uh, blogging is a great way to start. But even, But for some people who are really not 
familiar with writing, they may they may even find blogging a little bit intimidating. I'm sure that doesn't that's going to bloggers out there aren't going to relate to that. Successful bloggers out there aren't going to relate. But there are some mm. people I do meet them all the time who just think I don't know what to blog about. Now you've got mm. a background in as an athlete. You were <laughs> you were at the Olympics. That was it's a far it's a far playing water polo. It's a far cry from writing and blogging. How mm. did you overcome that initial? Oh my god! What I'm going to write about? <laughs> yeah, good, good question. I mean, for for us as a business, um, we started writing about the questions that our customers were asking us. Um, so that that was a really easy source, I guess, for us of um, inspiration. What are the questions that I keep answering or having to answer on the phone? Why don't I just write something about it and then I can just refer them to that? Um, so that from a, I mean, that's a sort of business non-fiction standpoint. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I'm not quite sure how that would relate for a from a fiction standpoint. But um, yeah, I, I suppose even you know, if blogging is too public, then sitting down to write. Even I've, I've heard other people say too. You know, like all I need to do is write one sentence each day. You know, some people go as little as that as their writing process to say I'm going to write one sentence each day and then that's the goal that I set and then they find once they write that one sentence, the second one appears. Um, Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also write to no one, you know what I mean? I think people get intimidated when they think what are people going to think? Whereas if you currently don't have any followers, it doesn't really matter. Just write to no one to start off with. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today, Toby. You know, it's it's been great to have a chat with you. I think that um, there's a lot of stuff that people can learn from your book, Web Marketing That Works, by Toby Jenkins and Adam Franklin. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights with us. Oh, thanks so much, Val. It's been uh, a heap of fun and thanks as always to you for um, the course and everything you've uh, supported with it, with us along the way too. So thank you enormously. So I really enjoyed talking to Toby because I love chatting with um, business book authors often because they also often have a strategic plan behind the marketing of their book. So even though their book came out a few months ago, that Toby and Franklin, I mean Toby and Adam, <laughs> Adam's last name is Franklin, um, have been, you know, really proactive in the way that they have used social media. They have their own podcast as well called Web Marketing That Works, which is obviously great branding for the book. And um, and they send out a really useful newsletter. So what they're doing, in fact, in even if you've got no interest necessarily in Web Marketing That Works, if you just sort of look at the way they communicate with their community as an author and how they've built their author platform, it's um it's a good example. So, yeah. Right. Okay, I'm good, signing up. Good on Toby and Adam. Yes. So, what else have we got? Oh, our app pick for the week. Very exciting. Ready, hit me. <laughs> is um, You may have heard that Microsoft is making the Microsoft Office apps. So, stuff like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, you know, but I'm particularly interested in Word. Sometimes I use a bit of Excel as well. Um, To available to you know smartphones, to Androids and iPads and um, and 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 iPhones. So they've already reached, climbed to the top of the um, Apple App Store charts. Uh, But apparently, and I haven't played around. I've downloaded, but I haven't played around with it yet. But apparently, they can. You can view, credit, um, view, create, and edit. Word documents. Oh, that's good. That is going to be so much easier than having to wait till you get back to your computer and, you know, all the rest of it. So That's big. That's really good. Yes. Can't wait to try it. Fantastic. What is our working writer's tip this week? Well, I just thought that we would have a little discussion this week about um, something that is, is quite dear to my heart at the moment. And it's a question of whether or not you should only take on stories as a freelance writer should you only take on stories that interest you and it's something that comes up a little bit because I find Mm. myself right now in the process of working on a couple of what could only be described as challenging (laughs) pieces um, that I'm doing because 
the the work was offered to me. The work is available. Um, so I'm doing. Do they interest me? They do mm. not interest me very much at all. <laughs> In fact, I could pretty much categorically state that they don't interest me one slight little bit. However, <laughs> however. I'm doing them because I'm a freelance writer who runs a business and mm. that business requires me to have some form of income. <laughs> so, yes. therefore, I'm writing these stories at the moment. So, I guess uh, my question would be, and people do ask me this, particularly newer freelance writers who, you know, still have stars in their eyes, which I don't really have anymore, <laughs> um, you know, whether or not, you know, should you only be doing work that, you know, that you find satisfying and yeah. are passionate about and ideas that, inflame your senses see what i mean passionate um yes so my response to that is probably no that people need to pay bills and you should probably be looking for work that is steady and allows you to do that but what do you think val Am, am i just being you know jaded no not at all i think look if you're a lady of leisure or a man of leisure and you don't need to earn a certain amount of money go nuts only do the ones you're interested in that's fine but I think there are two things. If I think that doing um, articles that you're not so keen on actually helps you grow as a writer. It mm-hmm. will teach you new skills. It will teach you new research skills. It will help you think more analytically. And in some cases, you will love it. So it's actually part of this new mantra that I have of really just pushing us, getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that are different because you would be surprised at some of the things that you hadn't tackled before that you think are really boring. But when you do it, not only have you learnt an incredible amount, you get an incredible sense of achievement because that's something that you never would have tackled before. So from a growth point of view and a learning point of view, I think you should do it. Not I, sh- I don't think you should have your entire roster of articles being things that you hate, of course. But I think doing some of the things that you wouldn't normally pick is important for those reasons. But also, one of the reasons I used to do a lot of things, um, well, used to have a balance, really, of things that I wasn't that ke- weren't that keen on and things that I were particularly keen on, was actually because in one uh, sort of a certain period in my life, a few years ago, I wanted to hit certain financial targets. So, in fact, my goal was to hit that little target for the week, whatever yes. that target was. Yes. And I made sure I said yes to whatever the – I didn't say yes to everything, mind you, because I wasn't going to say yes to something that was going to pay me $50 if something else was going to pay me $1,000, you know what I no, mean? No, that's right. But, it, but I would say yes to things that would help me reach that target, even if some of those things were not necessarily the things I was particularly excited about. But all of those things help me learn and grow. I can guarantee you that for sure. So. I completely agree with that. And that was that was what I was going to say too is I, I think that when you're running a freelance business, you need to have that figure in your head as to what it is that you mm. need to make and you do what you need to do to get to that. But the other thing I wanted to say too is I wrote a post as part of my Tips for Writing Features series um, and it's called Find the Armpits. Mm. And it, there are there's a lot involved in there in armpits. But one of the points that I like to make about that is that your job as a writer is to find the compelling, fascinating, interesting yes. thing in any subject and try yes. to make, even if you're as bored as you could possibly be by the subject, you need to make it interesting for the reader. And the only way to do that is to find something that's interesting and then give it to them in a way that is digestible and accessible yes. and maybe even a little bit entertaining if you can make that happen. So Absolutely. I think it's um, it's worth, I, I'll put the link to that particular article in the show notes because it's really worth thinking about. But yeah, the financial goals and the growth as a writer, yes, you are going to need to write stuff that maybe on paper initially doesn't look that interesting for mm. you. And, and honestly, I some writers, they're almost a little bit um, snobbish about it. Oh, I only write about X. And that's fine, you know, like I said, if, you want to, if you're a lady or a man of leisure. But I actually think that they're just limiting their skills so much because, mm, I agree. you know, it, it's, it's so important as a writer to be adaptable and to be able to write in different voices and different tones. And I think that it's, it's, it's not only limiting, it actually makes you shrink as a writer in terms of your skills. It does. Yes. But, of course, we'll be discussing all of this and more at our masterclass at Storyology. Yes. Absolutely. So for those of you who are in Sydney on the 2nd of December, Alison and I are doing a masterclass at the Walkley's um, Storyology Freelance Focus Day. And um, I'm also speaking on a panel earlier that day. And uh, and also it's going to be a busy day for us, It's Al, going to be a busy day. Because after I speak on a panel in the morning, we do a masterclass in the afternoon um, in, in on the 2nd of December 
on, I will tell you the exact name of it, mm-hmm. turn your passion into productivity and profit, mm-hmm. explore revenue streams you can create beyond traditional freelance writing, including corporate writing and speaking gigs, work more productively and efficiently, not harder. So if you're coming to that, you know, we'd love to see you and say hi. But if not, we'll hopefully see you because we're having a meetup. Um, the Australian Writers' Centre is having a meetup at 6.30 in, uh, at the Curabilly Club and we'll put the details of that um, in the show notes as well. And, of course, our guest speaker is Alison's going to tell us all about the Mapmaker Chronicles. I can't I wait am. to actually be, you know, Ellen to your... <laughs> <laughs> How fantastic. <laughs> Will you be giving away a free car? Oh, no, that's Oprah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, it'll be just like watching a podcast in real life. Yeah, there will be prizes. So, Ooh. you know, I can't promise a free car. No. But uh, there's always a prize. So, and you can even draw the prize, Al. I can't win it, though? No, you can't win it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if I'll come now. Anyway. I'll be there. So, um, yeah, but I would also just like to, um, before we wrap things up, mm. I would like to give a big shout-out to Kate Forsyth, who we mentioned oh, yes. a little bit earlier um, as being inspirational, and she is inspirational because Bitter Greens, which is one of her historic fiction titles, um, was named by the US Library Journal as one of the best historical fiction titles of 2014, which is a massive thing and of course you know as a writer center presenter we expect nothing less but nonetheless she's amazing and big shout out to kate and well done Woohoo! well done kate i knew she could do it of course yeah. of course goes without saying yeah. that brings us to the end of our podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer email us at podcast at writerscenter.com.au you can find the show notes at writerscenter.com.au Oh, that, 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 I did that very well, didn't I? Writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. You'll find me on Twitter at Valerie Koo. And Alison? You'll find me at Al Tate. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. 